Jake. That's right. <laughs> Yimmy, where you at, girl? Come on up. Come on up. Yimmy studied the Bible with uh, Chris. Come on up. Don't be shy. Come on up. Yemi studied the Bible with uh, Christine and, and Alicia, I believe, and this last week she decided to get baptized for her life to Christ and uh, become a member of our church. And so we want to congratulate her on that. We are grateful that she is here. Um, now i got to get something out of the way real fast. Where is my Chief's kingdom at? Where's Chief's boys? Where are you at? Where are you at? Oh, my gosh. Don't tell me there's more Eagles fans in here. I'm going to try this again. Where's my Chief's kingdom at? There it is. There it is. All right. Because I need to know who I can and can't invite to my house for the Super Bowl next week. All right. I'm going to go back on the video and see who cheered and who booed. Um, now, it's funny because, you know, Super Bowl's right around the corner. And uh, if you guys have a bulletin that you guys picked out, if you guys would like to go to a Super Bowl party, um, we have multiple Super Bowl parties that are going to be hosted. So if you like to watch the game and you just don't really have a lot of people to cheer around with, uh, there's a place for you. If you just like to eat the food, there's going to be a place for you. If you just like the halftime show, there's going to be a place for you. If you just like the commercials, if you don't like any of it and you just don't want to be in your house, there's a place for you, okay? Um, but if you guys want to look on the back of your bulletin, there will be different locations for that game next week. Um, I love the Super Bowl party because I like it all. I like the food. I like the games. I like the halftime show. I like the people. Um, but it is an awesome opportunity for you guys to just get connected to some people in the church and just be able to have some um, friends to spend some time with. But it's, it's funny. Well, I'll jump into that in a second. Uh, something else that I want to remind you guys about is our marriage retreat. So married people in the room, where are you at? Right. This is probably one of my favorite retreats we do all year. Um, this is coming up in two weeks. And there's still plenty of time to register for this. So if you guys would like to come to the marriage retreat, um, there is information on the back on how that can happen. It is just a great opportunity to be able to strengthen your marriage, to get away from your kids for a little bit. You know, if anything, it's just a great time to be able to do that. Um, but there's so many different things that we've always learned. My, my marriage would not be what it is today without this retreat. Um, for me to make the, the sacrifice each year to go to this, to, to grow in my relationship with God, but also my responsibility as a husband, um, our marriage would not be uh, what it is today without godly men and women who have successful married lives looking at God's word and their lives and how we can apply it to ours as well. And so if you guys would want to come to this, you guys are more than welcome to uh, look into that a little bit. Now back to my Chiefs Kingdom spiel I was getting on a second ago. Um, it's funny because that is, you know, every football team has a, a different type of um, tagline with with their fan base and, and with the Chiefs if you're part of the Chiefs fan base you you call yourself the the Chiefs kingdom you know um, and it's 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 interesting because we are in the middle of a kingdom uh, series uh, so I think that God had divinely decided to put the Chiefs into the Super Bowl so it would just parallel with what we're talking about today um, but uh, it's it's interesting because when you look at the kingdom of God and you look at the kingdom in the Bible um, you get some interesting ideas about what that means. You get some interesting thoughts. If you go into the world and you ask people, what is the kingdom of God? Because the Bible talks about it all the time. A lot of times you hear people say, well, that's, that's heaven. That's, that's going to happen one day when we die. 
Or um, if you hear the kingdom of God, you, you say, you know, that, that's just Jesus, you know, and they'll just give like a general term for kingdom. But the reality is, is that most people don't understand what the kingdom is or when it happened or if, if it happened or when it's going to happen. And, and we get this general term of the kingdom of God, but we really don't know what that is. And so what we're going to do today is we're actually going to use part of our sermon series on the kingdom of God to explain some of those things. And so today, today's got a little bit of apologetics splashed into it to kind of look at some Old Testament prophets and prophecies about this kingdom to help us verify and understand what it really is and what God wanted us to understand about this kingdom and how it can apply to us today. Because the kingdom of God is not when you die and go to heaven. That is a piece of it. But there's so much more that goes along with it that we need to know and understand today because it impacts our everyday lives. But a lot of us don't live lives remembering and thinking about the kingdom of God. We think about other things that go along with a relationship with God. But this is such a vital part of the kingdom that we need to know what we can learn from it today and what, what it's all about. So today's just going to be like a FAQ about, you know, the, the kingdom of God. So the first point on your notes, if you guys want to follow along, uh, we, have some, we have some notes that we've printed out for you guys. If you guys would like to pull those out and kind of ride along with us, uh, you're more than welcome to. But the first question is where? Where would the kingdom come? You know, everybody has different ideas and everybody has different opinions on this idea of where this kingdom was going to come. Was it going to be when we die one day and we go to heaven? Was it going to be in a certain country? Was it going to be, you know, is, is it really invisible and it's just kind of around? Like, where would this kingdom come? Well, we get some indications in the Old Testament through early prophets of telling us where this would come. And we, we start out in Micah 5, 2. It says, You, Bethlehem of Epirthath, even though you remain least among the clans of Judah, nevertheless, the one who rules in Israel for me will emerge from you. His existence has been from antiquity, even from eternity. And so we first get this idea that there is going to be a ruler that comes out of Bethlehem, right? And the book of Micah was written hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus in the first century. And so we get this first idea of Bethlehem being a place where a ruler is going to emerge from. We tend to hear this verse, and when we hear the word Bethlehem in that town, we tend to think about one time throughout the year. What, what is that time that you usually think about? Christmas, right? We always think about Christmas because we think of the word Bethlehem and the baby born in the manger in Bethlehem, you know, and we think about the Christmas story and we think about, and, and that's really the only time we hear about this town or we hear about this place. But the reality is, is that Micah knew that there was going to be a ruler that came out of that. And we would kind of hear that and say, yeah, that, that does make sense. Well, what about this next verse in Zechariah 9.9? Once again, another prophet that talks about something that's going to happen hundreds of years before it actually comes into fruition. It says, Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. So once again, we get this idea from a different prophet talking about the same general location in Jerusalem, but now he's kind of indicating that this is a king that's coming. And then he gives us understanding that he, he would be coming in riding on a donkey's colt. Now, when we hear this verse, what do we tend to think about? Think about riding on a donkey. What, what holiday do we usually symbolize that with? Easter, right? We think about Palm Sunday. We think about making the way for... Um, 
Jesus to enter the holy city of Jerusalem, and we and we and we we have the kids have those coloring pages that they come home right, and the palm leaves are being laid on the on the ground, and 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 we think about that during that time, but it's because these prophets were really paving a way to to describe when this kingdom and when this king was going to show up. Here's another one in Joel, a different prophet, Joel two in twenty eight and verse thirty two. It says, "And afterward, I will pull out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy." Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there will be deliverance. Right? And so this verse mentions Zion and Jerusalem. And it may not look about a prophecy about the kingdom, but we'll find out later that this is. Um, that this is going to be something that, that, uh, that the Apostle Peter lets us know that this is... This is part of this prophecy of when this kingdom is coming. But once again, we get another understanding that there is, there is a place, and it's undeniable through the prophets, hundreds of years, that there is a place that they have all culminated to say, this is the area where this king, where this kingdom, where this place is going to be sprouted from. There's going to be a starting place. In Psalms 110, we see David says, again, it says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit by me at my right side, and I will put on your enemies under your control. The Lord will make you king in Jerusalem over all nations. And you will rule your enemies in their own countries. So a fourth place we see this. Hundreds of years before we get this idea of this kingdom. But now we start getting an indication through Psalm that this may not be like any other kingdom. Right? Because it says that he will make you king over all nations. And that you'll rule your enemies in your own countries. You see, it's kind of weird because we don't think about America like this, but America is kind of like a kingdom, right? We, we have a realm that we live in. This is our home. And we, in a way, if we would say king, we would say president, you know? And that's who we are under the authority of in this nation. This is our kingdom, right? And Mexico, they have their own country, they have their own kingdom, and they report to their own uh, higher authority power. And then you have India, and you have Pakistan, and you have China, and you, and you have every country has their own kingdom established, right? And they work under the rule and the reign of whoever is in charge and in power of that kingdom. But this gives us the idea that this king is going to rule among all nations, that this king is going to rule enemies in their own countries. That he's going to have a different type of kingdom. And so it's crazy that now we're starting to splash, not just the idea that this kingdom has a location and a starting point that something's going to be birthed from some area, but now the type of kingdom is going to look a little bit different as well. And so we see from Old Testament that there is a lot of prophecy that talks about where. But the next question that people ask is when? When would this kingdom come? Right? We didn't really get a lot of timestamps from some of those Old Testament prophecies, right? No, nothing really said when that time was going to come. You see, a lot, of, a lot of religions believe that the kingdom hasn't happened yet. They believe that that kingdom will come when Jesus comes back, or that kingdom will come when we die, and we'll be able to experience it. There's lots of different things and places that people look at and say, you know, I don't believe the kingdom's here yet. Or I don't believe the kingdom is, or that those prophecies, that's going to maybe happen one day. But maybe when Jesus comes back, he's going to pop up in Jerusalem. And that's when the kingdom is going to start. Like, there's lots of different takes on when this kingdom would come. But once again, 
we have some prophecy, we have some Old Testament that we can look at, and, and we get a general, very clear idea of when this kingdom would come, okay? And that's in the book of Daniel. And so as we walk through the book of Daniel and this, um, we're actually going to follow along with it up on the PowerPoint. Uh, we have a verse that we've kind of ta- stamped for you that we'll kind of draw back through. But essentially, we're going to read through Daniel 2 today. And it's, it's important for us to read through this because this gives us a very, very detailed description of the timeline of when this kingdom would come. You see, Daniel was a man who was blessed by God to interpret dreams uh, very clearly. And at this time, uh, he, was, he, he, was, he was with King Nebuchadnezzar, and King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. And he had no idea what it meant. And if I was reading this dream and I had this dream, I would have the same exact idea. I don't, I don't have a clue what this one was meant to be. But what's insane is the way that Daniel chooses to describe this dream to King Nebuchadnezzar. And he does it with great detail, and we can parallel that to history, and we can look through different, different kingdoms that have happened since that point and pinpoint that. And it's going to be a really cool illustration that you guys can see today to show just how accurate things were before this came to fruition hundreds of years later. Okay, so follow along with me in Daniel 2. We get this description of what this dream is, right? And we'll start in verse 31. It says, King, in your dream, you saw a large statue in front of you that was very large and very shiny. It was very impressive. The head of that statue was made from pure gold. Its chest and the arms were made from silver. The belly and upper part of the legs were made from bronze. The lower part of the legs were made from iron. Its feet were made partially from iron and partially from clay. When you were looking at the statue, you saw that a rock was cut loose, but not by human hands. Then the rock hit the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold broke into pieces all at the same time. And all the pieces became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summertime. The wind blew them away and there was nothing left. No one could tell that a statue had ever been there. Then the rock that hit the statue became a very large mountain and filled up the whole earth. Now, if you had that dream and you woke up, would you have any idea what that meant, right? That there was the statue built and it was different materials throughout the body. And at some point they started to break apart and start to fall apart. And then they would turn into dust and then it blew away. And then you woke up and you were like, I know exactly what that means. You know, like, I don't think any of us would be like, oh, I got to change my life because this dream told me exactly what I need to do. And, and, and it lays out, you know, whatever. We wouldn't think like that. So it makes sense that King Nebuchadnezzar is like, somebody needs to tell me what this means. That's not like a, that's not like a very frequent dream. I have lots of dreams. How many, how many of you guys like actually remember your dreams from time to time? How many of your dreams are like messed up? Where you're like, yeah, right? Like we can all get on the same page. We're like, I don't know what this dream means. It's so weird. And the same thing can happen in Old Testament. The same thing can happen. But they were fortunate enough to have prophets that God worked through these people's dreams and he gave people like King Nebuchadnezzar, he gave him people like Daniel to say, listen, there's a reason why you had this dream. Sometimes we wonder why we have the dreams that we have. I believe that at times God gives us dreams that help you know, get our lives in order, help us understand things for the future. I, I, I do believe that. I do also believe that some dreams we just have because we're crazy. You know, like, I believe that some of the dreams that I have, I'm like, why did, you know, why was I just walking the field and all of a sudden I was like in a bounce house and all of a sudden I saw my kid? Like, like I have those weird kind of dreams and I'm like, that to me doesn't mean anything. Like, it's just a weird dream. But just like in this time with, with King Nebuchadnezzar, this dream did mean something. This dream was an, it was an important one to interpret. 
This one was one that we didn't just need to blatantly look back and be like, that's a silly dream. And so he brings Daniel in. And this is the response that he gets from Daniel. In verse 36, we'll pick up, it says, that was your dream. Now we will tell you, now we will tell the king what it means. King, you are the most important king. The God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. He has given you control, and you rule over people and the wild animals and the birds. Wherever they live, God has made you ruler over them. King Nebuchadnezzar, you are the head of the gold in that statue. So we have the first material, and that's, that symbolizes King Nebuchadnezzar. But then he goes on, and he says, Another kingdom will come after you, but it will not be as great as your kingdom. Then a third kingdom will rule over the earth. That's the bronze part. Then there will be a fourth kingdom. That kingdom will be strong like iron. Just as iron breaks things and smashes them to pieces, that fourth kingdom will break all the other kingdoms and smash them to pieces. You saw that the feet and toes of the statue were partially clay and partially iron. That means the fourth kingdom will be a divided kingdom. It will have some of the strength of iron in it just as you saw the iron mixed with clay. The toes of the statue were partially iron and partially clay, so the fourth kingdom will be partially strong like iron and partially weak like clay. You saw the iron mixed with clay, but iron and clay don't completely mix together. In the same way, people of the fourth kingdom will be a mixture. They will not be united as one people. Now here's the most important part. This is where we get the timestamp on when this kingdom will come. In verse 44, and this is what's on your notes, it says, During the time of kings of the fourth kingdom, the God of heaven will set up another kingdom that will continue forever. It will never be destroyed, and it will be the kind of kingdom that cannot be passed on to another group of people. This kingdom will crush all other kingdoms. It will bring them to an end, but that kingdom itself will continue forever. King Nebuchadnezzar, you saw a rock cut from a mountain, but no one cut that rock. That rock broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. In this way, God showed you what will happen in the future. This dream is true, and you can trust what it means. You see, for King Nebuchadnezzar, this may have not had much significance after he dies, because it's, it's, it's describing different kingdoms that were going to come into fruition after he died. But the most important part that King Nebuchadnezzar needed to understand is that one day he would no longer be the king. That one day there was going to be a kingdom that had authority over him that was going to be a superior uh, kingdom. And there was a timestamp that we got to see from this. Throw this graphic up so you can understand this. Okay, This graphic is a great description of maybe what this statue looked like, but this dream that he had had. And here's the historical background of what this dream meant. When it talked about the statue of gold, that was King Nebuchadnezzar's reign. That was in Babylon, and that was the time stamp that he was reigned in that kingdom. But if we know history, and you're a history buff, you understand that most kingdoms in the old centuries were conquered by other kingdoms. And as he walked down through these different kingdoms and these different types of materials, you start to see that the Persians essentially established a kingdom in a different era, in a different timeline, because that's where that silver came in. And then you see bronze, and that's when the Greeks and the Greece came in. But ultimately, Rome was the one that conquered and took over during that fourth type of kingdom or that fourth place. And it's insane to see that this is a prophecy that happened so long ago. And yet we can read our history books and see that exactly the same things that, da that Daniel had talked about happened in history. 
You know, most historians look at the, at the Bible as the most accurate history book that we have. If we try to timestamp different artifacts or different things uh, that we find throughout culture, throughout the world, and we try to find a historical timeline, we refer back to the Bible. We look to see what the Bible says. We don't look at our history books that we have in, in schools. You know, we don't look at certain things. It's got the most historically accurate data that we can record. And when you look like this and you see this, it's amazing to think that this wasn't just something that was documented. This was something that was predicted. That's what makes the Bible so powerful. That's what makes the Bible the reality that it actually is God's word because you can't just read a history book and say that happened because somebody saw it and somebody wrote it down. The Bible is what it is because people did, didn't just write down what they saw. People wrote down what God told them would happen in the future. And it never contradicts itself. There's never a fallacy so that whenever a prophet says something, it never happened. It did happen. And to see that this is exactly what he was talking about. But what's important is that he talks about a kingdom will be set up and never be destroyed in the reign of that fourth kingdom. And that is our timestamp of when this kingdom came. Jesus came during the reign of the Roman government. Jesus came in that timestamp of when the Roman Empire and the Roman kingdom was set in place. And if you can get anything and grasp anything, that this idea of this kingdom from the prophets of the Old Testament is that it's so true. It's undeniable that this kingdom is here. Hundreds of years before us, or well, thousands for us, but hundreds of years before the kingdom was actually there, he was able to give us this idea. And so if we know this and we see this, there's got to be truth that some, something must have happened during the time in Rome where a new kingdom was established. So if we have that idea, let's move on and look at this a little bit further. Okay? Now, we get, we now, now we start seeing a couple more prophecies come about, about what's going to happen during that time. Let's look at Malachi 3. It says, The Lord All-Powerful says, I am sending my messenger to prepare the way for me. Then suddenly the Lord you're looking for will come to his people Yes, the messenger you are waiting for, the one who will tell about my agreement, is really coming. Does anyone have an idea who he's talking about here? John the Baptist. So now we're not just talking about this kingdom. Now we're starting to see details about this kingdom. Now we're starting to see the plan of this kingdom. Once again, Malachi is a prophet hundreds of years before John the Baptist is actually here. We see that this is going, there's going to be a man who prepares the way. It's insane. Now, let's jump into the New Testament. Let's jump into that timeline. If, if this is the time stamp, boom, sometime in the Roman government, sometime in, thir- sometime in, that, in, that, in that year, let's, jump, let's fast forward to that time and see if we can see in Scripture if we can find anything that, that relates to this idea of this kingdom showing up during that time. Okay, Luke 1. 30-33. It says, But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You will become pregnant and give birth to a son. You must name him Jesus. He will be great and be called Son of the Most High God. The Lord God will make him a king like his father. David of long ago, he will rule forever over his people who came from Jacob's family. His kingdom will never end. So now we are in this timeline, right? 
that there's going to be a kingdom. And we see that somebody's going to get pregnant in this timeline of when this kingdom's going to show up. And this is, once again, a prediction, right? She's not pregnant yet. It says, you will become pregnant. So we have another prophecy that shows up and says, you are about to give birth to a king. Hasn't happened yet. It would be a little different, right, if, if she had a baby in her belly. And then he says, hey, you're, you're going to be pregnant. Like, I, 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 already, I know I'm going to be pregnant. <laughs> I am, but this was before it even happened. It shows that there's still something going to work with this. But once again, we get an indication that this is not like any other kingdom. This is not like any other king. Because it indicates that he will rule forever over his people. When, when do most kings' reigns end? When they die, right? So when a king dies, he no longer has reign and ownership over his kingdom. Somebody else takes his place. But this king, this king that was coming, those rules didn't apply to him. This king was going to have rulership forever. Um, and this kingdom, once again, when does a kingdom end? When another kingdom takes over, right? This kingdom is never going to have an end. You see some parallels here that we saw in Daniel? You see some parallels in the dream? It's crazy to see the way that the kingdom is described in Scripture, right? <clears throat> in Matthew 3, 1 through 3, it says, In those days John the Baptist came to the Judean wilderness and began preaching. His message was, Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. The prophet Isaiah was speaking about John when he said, He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. Here once again is Micah's prediction, Micah's prophecy on somebody preparing the way for the king. It's John the Baptist. And so it's undeniable, and if, if I can get anything for you guys to understand from this point of when this kingdom would come, the kingdom is already here. We, we're not waiting for heaven. We're not waiting for Jesus to come back. He has already established a kingdom that is working right now. And I think sometimes we don't, we don't understand that, or we're like, no, 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 that doesn't make sense. But once again, why would, why would John the Baptist be preaching on the kingdom of heaven being near if these people were never going to see it or experience it? Why would he say it's near if they were going to die way before it even happened? Look what, look what Matthew 4, 17 says. It says, From then on, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, because the kingdom of heaven is near. Jesus himself, now that he is here on the scene, is telling people, this kingdom is near. I don't think Jesus would want to describe something that these people wouldn't need to work on or experience if they're not going to be around for it to show up. Right? But Jesus himself makes the indication. And then, you know, this is the most undeniable verse to read when it comes about when this time came. When, when was the best time stamp? Because, you know, near, when you hear the word near, you, you, there's not really a time stamp on that. That could be, near for God could be thousands of years. It could be hundreds, like we don't know. But how do you deny this? Mark 9, 1. Jesus went on to say, I tell you the truth, some standing here right now will not die before they see the kingdom of God arrive in great power. There's a timestamp. Because some people in that room, some of those disciples that he was talking about, they would not die before they got to see the kingdom of heaven. 
You see, the kingdom of heaven is already here on this earth, and it's doing its job as best as it can. And the reason that he says some is because he's talking about Judas. And we know the story and the situation that happened with Judas, but he lets the people know, you want a timestamp on when this kingdom is going to come, we know. We know now. We know that realm. So if we can look through Scripture, we can look through Old Testament, we can look through the, the first century, we can look at these different things, and we know, we know now when. It's kind of like we missed it. <laughs> like, it's already here. Like, and we, we've been waiting. It's, you, know, you guys remember like 2000? Like for some of you guys that were born, you know? <laughs> um, and you're like, it's the end of the world. Remember that? The whole Y2K. Like, and we thought like people in the world were going crazy, right? They're like, I'm going to burn all my money because come January 1st, we ain't going to be alive, right? Does anybody remember that crazy time, right? And, and then every other time after that where it's like, this calendar indicates that on this certain day at this certain time, like there's going to be a reckoning, you know, or like the world is just going to implode. And we see all these different times and, and we're just like, there's nothing to worry about after this because this is whenever the world is just going to end. Crazy. And I think sometimes that's how people look at the kingdom and they're like, one day Jesus is going to come back and this world's going to end and we're looking forward to that date. So we just need to make sure that we figure out when that time has come. Well, I'm here to let you guys know that happened thousands of years ago. <laughs> like the kingdom has already came. It's already here and you missed when it came. All right. So you don't need to think through scholarship. You know, you don't need to think through Old Testament. Like you don't. I just did the homework for you. The kingdom of God is already here on earth. So what is it? What is the kingdom? Right. I don't, I don't know of a place on earth that is labeled the kingdom of God. I don't, we have America, we have Mexico. I don't see a kingdom of God on my history maps, right? Do you guys see that anywhere? Do you guys see a region that is just God's, the kingdom itself? I, I don't. <laughs> so what is it? Like, wh like what, what is this kingdom? Like, how are we supposed to figure this out? Well, we're going to go into this a lot more detail in the next couple of weeks. You're going to have to come back, all right? <laughs> um, I'm going to give you a general overview today, though, of what we're going to be discussing over the next couple of weeks on what this kingdom really is, because we need to get a general idea of what this is so that we can be a, a, involved in it and a part of it. Um, because for me to read through, knowing that the kingdom is here, it makes me kind of nervous as a Christian. <laughs> like Then I'm like, how, am I a citizen? Like, am I a part of it? Like, I, I don't know. Is it because I come to church? Is it because I, I read my Bible? Like, how do I know if I'm in that kingdom, if it's already, like, working, living here among us? And so that's what this kingdom, you know, sermons here is going to help us get to over the next couple of weeks. But today, let's get a general overview of what this kingdom is, okay? In simplest forms, the kingdom of God is God's repentant and ruled people. It's the church of God. The kingdom is God's repentance and his ruled people. The church. And I think that the culture that we live in has really screwed up the idea of what this kingdom should look like. I think, especially in America, it's, it's, it's shifted what being under a rule of a kingdom really means to look like, right? Our culture has this idea right now that 
we should be so expressive and, and, um, and, and make it all about us and, and, and our needs and our desires and, and just this, this empowerment that it's, it's about you and, and, and what you want to do with your life. And some of that stuff is good. I, 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 don't, I won't deny that. But it brings it to the point that says whatever, what, whatever is going on in your life, your needs should come first. Your wants should come first. Your desires should come first because this is your life. And that is not a life of a person who lives underneath a king. See, when you live underneath a rule of somebody, you say, it's not my life. It's not my authority. It's not my kingdom. It's yours. So I will live under your authority. I will live under your rule. I will live under your commands, not mine. And that's why the kingdom of God is God's repentant people. Because we can live one way and say, this is what I need to do. But if we realize that we're not living in the way that the kingdom requires us to live, repentance is literally a complete 180 to say, I will live under this rule instead. I will change my lifestyle. I will change the way I think, the way I feel, and my actions will now align differently than they did before. But the key word here is ruled. To be ruled. I think American culture has gotten us to this place where we feel like to be ruled by God as a Christian means that we only have to be ruled when we're in his presence, and his presence is really only when we're at church or around other Christians. You see, we, we, we come to church, and it's totally fine to not sin in here. You know, like, it's pretty easy, right? I don't see anybody looking at their phone or things they shouldn't be looking at. I don't see anybody in here cussing anybody else out. I don't see anybody in here being super selfish or prideful, right? I don't see that in this room because we're in the church, right? And nobody's going to do anything wrong in the church because God's looking, like, he's got some eyeballs in these cameras. Like, this is, the God's looking at you, right? And then the moment you drive away, we assume, like, God's still at church, so I can do whatever I want, right? He's not looking anymore. And then we go home, and we close our doors, and, like, he definitely can't see in here, and we turn the lights out. He definitely can't see in the dark, you know, like, and we keep trying to find these secret areas in our lives and say, God doesn't have to rule this area because he doesn't see me right now. I'm not, under, I'm not under his reign right now, so I can do whatever I want. Some of us, it's not just that secretive. Some of us, it's blatant. We can look at our lives. We can look at our, our work and what we do with our jobs. We can look at our relationships. We can look at sports. You know, that's one of the things I hate most about being, you know, athletically inclined growing up in sports. That the world today almost makes it feel like you have to choose between sports and God now. It's such a shame the kids have to choose if, they, if they're going to go to church or if they're going to be a part of a team. Which kingdom are you going to rule under? Are you going to rule under the authority of a sport or of a king? And it's, it's so frustrating that kids have to choose those things because they shouldn't. It's so frustrating when families make kids choose between the family of biology and the family of God. That this family will say, no, 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 your commitment is to this family first. This is where you should be ruled. This is where your authority should come from, not from that family. And they completely misconstrue the idea that the entire family should be under the rule of God's family. But they make them choose. I've seen so many college students come into our church and our ministries 
because their families have abandoned them. Because their families have made comments to say, you need to choose one or the other. I've seen people come in with sport backgrounds, with, with work backgrounds, with relationship backgrounds. They've been dumped because their significant other says, you need to choose which kingdom you want to you live in. And it's so frustrating that the world has taken this idea of what it really does mean to live in the kingdom of God and changed it and manipulated it to a way that doesn't really look like living in the kingdom of God. And what happens is what we see in Colossians 1.12. It says, He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to His people who live in the light. For He has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His dear Son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. You see, I've seen so many people walk into this church. So many of these college students and some of these high school students that I've, I've, I've invested a lot of time into. And they were living in the kingdom of darkness. They were living in a world that was not ruled by God. And the relationships they had were toxic. The backgrounds that they had were not good. The experiences they went through we're not good. And they get entwined and engulfed in this kingdom of whatever it is. And I think a lot of us can be relatable with there's something going on in life. It could be a relationship. It could be just a toxic environment. It could be, you know, fill in the blank, an addiction, just a struggle. And we choose to let this kingdom of darkness rule and reign in our lives. And we choose time and time again to let that be a, the authoritative voice through our actions. But then Jesus shows up. And Jesus gives us the opportunity to say, I'm going to rescue you from that kingdom. I'm going to give you a different kingdom. That kingdom is going to be light. And this kingdom you can trust. This kingdom is going to be better for your life. I don't know about you, but I've never met a ruler or a king that was willing to lay down his life for his entire country. You see, I don't, I don't care what political side you are in America. Every politician is just trying to save their own butt, right? All these allegations, all these conspiracies, all these thoughts and feelings, right? But at the end of the day, they're the ones that are getting more and more money, right? They're the ones that are just wanting to keep their status and their positions. They're not the ones that are saying, I'm willing to die on the front lines because that's not how normal kings work. Normal kings don't say, my people come first. But this king does. This king was willing to come and say, my people come first, that I'm willing to die for them. And I don't know about you, but if there's any king that I want to follow, it's that kind of king. It's the kind of king that's willing to put himself first. or him. <laughs> that's, that's not what I need to say, right? It's, it's the kind of king that's willing to put himself last so that his people that he loves can come first. So what we're going to do here in a minute is we're going to take communion. Um, and we're going, to, we're going to, I want you to remember this, because this is the kind of king that rules in this kingdom of God. This is the character of the kind of king who rules in the kingdom of God. He is not selfish. 
He's not self-centered. He doesn't have an agenda to bolster himself and to make himself look better for himself or to make people follow him on fake values and fake promises. This is a king that was willing to lay everything out because he understood his people were hurting. His people were living in a different kingdom of darkness and he had to go die and put himself on a cross to ensure that we had an opportunity to get out of these nasty, dark kingdoms that we live in to now live for him. To live in a kingdom of light, to live in a kingdom of hope, to live in a kingdom of love. And God made that for everyone to have that opportunity to. So I'm going to say a prayer. We're going to have the worship team sing a song, and we're going to pass communion, and then we'll, uh, we'll finish up the sermon today. Okay? Let's pray. Uh, God, I just want to thank you so much just for the idea of a kingdom. Um, I, I so many times forget that, you know, for this kingdom to be even established, Jesus had to make a sacrifice. Jesus had to be the king who was slain to give us an opportunity to have a greater life. And because of that, I'm eternally grateful. And I, and I pray if there's anything I can learn from today is what, what must I do to be grateful and to, and to think about the sacrifice that was made and how it can help me through my days. Um, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Exciting part of Colossians 1, to me, in verse 13, is when it talks about that he rescued us from this kingdom of darkness. And if you look in 1 Peter 2.9, it says, You're a chosen people, you're a royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. It's, it's interesting to see how frequent he talks about these other kingdoms being darkness but he's chosen to call us out of those darknesses and bring us into a light. And that's one of the coolest things about experiencing a relationship with God, guys. If you can get anything from the sermon today, I want you to understand this. When you get called out of the darkness, like Jesus has clearly said multiple times through Scripture, and brought into a king of light, a kingdom of light, you can have a different type of life. You don't have to experience some of the things that you were raised in. You don't have to experience some of the things that were done to you. You don't have to experience those things. You don't have to repeat cycles. When you're called out of darkness, you get to break cycles. When you're called out of darkness, you get to experience things that maybe you didn't get to experience in the darkness. When you get called out of the darkness, you now get to experience things that God wants you to experience. Church in itself, the Greek word for church is ekklesia. And that means called out. The church is meant to be a chosen people who have been called out of darkness. To be a part of a church means that you have been part of something that's been called out to be something different. And the church has its beginnings in Acts 2. This is where we get to see all these prophecies from the beginning of our sermon today come to fruition. This is when we get to see this kingdom be established. This is when we get to see the timestamp come into effect and what that means for us. All right, and we're going to pick up in Acts 2, uh, verses 14 through 16. It says, Then Peter stood with the eleven apostles in a loud voice. He said to them, Men of Judea and everyone living in Jerusalem, you must understand this, so pay attention to what I say. 
Now note this. It says, this is what the prophet Joel spoke about. Remember, we just talked about Joel <laughs> at the very beginning, right? He's talking about prophecy coming to fruition. He's talking about this prophecy being verified. He says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit to everyone. Your sons and daughters, you will speak what God has revealed. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. He's reciting that same prophecy we just read about that talked about this kingdom coming. And then jump down to verse 33 and 34. It says, exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. We just talked about two of those prophecies. We just talked about those verses. And this early church in the first century, well, disciples at this time, are essentially establishing these prophecies to come to light and happen. It's, 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 like, it's like a movie, right? Whenever you start seeing like, I don't know, like I really like Lord of the Rings. And so like if you see like the Fellowship of the Ring and you're like, you know this ring's got to be destroyed. Like, you know that it's got to happen, right? And then you watch, and you watch the time on the stories of all the tragedies and the ups and downs and the things that happen through, through those movies, and you look at those things, and you're like, man, this sucks. This is such a bad time. Or, man, like, this is such an uplifting time. When is this going to happen? When is it finally going to get destroyed? Like, when is this moment finally going to happen? And the Bible is the same exact way, right? You see Israelite and you see God's people go through ups and downs and, and you see these hardships and you see these prophecies say, this is going to happen one day. And they're waiting to think, when is this going to happen? It is right now in Acts 2. It is that moment that everyone has been waiting for, for this kingdom to be established. And it starts. And he's letting these people know this is the time. This is what we've been waiting for. This is our opportunity. And he jumps down in Acts 2, verses 36 through 40, and he tells them, this is, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. This is the moment we've been waiting for. God has made this Jesus, whom you both crucified, both Lord and Messiah. God has made this king. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the, and the apostles, what shall we do? There's the church. There's finally the people that say, how do we be a part of this kingdom? How do we get out of this kingdom of darkness and how do we join the kingdom of God? We've been waiting our whole lives. We've been waiting. Our ancestors have been telling us about this. We, we've, been, we've been hearing prophecies about this. It has finally come and we are the ones that get to see this. What do we need to do to join this kingdom. And Peter gives them some instructions. Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord of the God will call. With many other words he warned them and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Another way you could say that is to say, save yourselves from this dark kingdom. Save yourselves from what you've been living in. Save yourselves from this authority that has not blessed your life. And then he gives the promise that this kingdom is not just going to be for you while you're here on earth and you die. This is the kingdom that we've been talking about that is never going to die. 
that will always exist for your descendants. It will always be there for the next generation, and it will always continue to be here. This is the kingdom we have been waiting for. But it's not just given. There are some things that have to happen. He talks about repentance and baptism. And for some of you guys, maybe you haven't really looked at that in, 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 in your life in a, in, a, in a deep way, but to be a part of God's kingdom, it does include repentance. It does include looking at your life and saying, I have had rule and reign, or I have been living in a dark kingdom of rule and reign, and I've been letting that dictate my life, and if I'm going to be a part of this kingdom, I, I can't live under that rule and reign anymore. I have to change what is in my authority. I have to change who makes the decisions. I have to turn my life around and think differently. That has got to be a part of God's kingdom. But let's not dismiss baptism either. Because we, we know through Scripture, and, we can, and we can, we're not going to get too much in that today, but baptism is the symbolism of that sacrifice. Of if we are going to live for a new king, which is no longer ourselves, the baptism in itself sim- symbolizes the idea that I am now dying to myself. I am no longer the authority figure in my life. I am surrendering my life to now live in this kingdom. You cannot live as your kingdom, as your authority figure, and live in your realm and join a different kingdom or realm. And baptism is part of that process that has to happen for us to say, I'm going to die to myself. I'm going to give up my life. I'm going to surrender to the real king because I've been running the king of darkness or the world around me has been running for me the king of darkness. But the king of life demands complete surrender. The kingdom of God demands complete surrender. And I exemplify that in part through my repentance and through my baptism and through my lifestyle. But guys, I'm telling you right now that there is no other kingdom on this earth that's going to give you the benefits, the blessings, the hope, the love, the support, the encouragement than the kingdom of God. And you don't have to wait to die to experience it. It's here. They understood that. And if we read a little bit further, we'd see the mass conversion. We'd see 3,000 people surrender their lives to Christ. We'd see churches get established. We'd see disciples going all over the countries to share this and, and help expand this church and build God's kingdom. And we'd start seeing this idea of the kingdom and the Roman government could not destroy it. So what did they do? They joined in, right? They couldn't stop it. So if you can't beat them, do what? Join them. And that's kind of how we got the Roman Catholic Church, right? That's how they started to come in. Like, we want to try to control this, so we're going to bring our own branch in, right? And you start seeing that this idea of this kingdom did not die. But man, how long ago did Rome rule, right? And yet here we are. Crossing is Collinsville, right? The kingdom is still here. And it's so cool to know that we get to experience the same exact thing. And that's what our church theme is of being continued, to be continued, is because we are continuing that kingdom. We are the kingdom. But it's going to take a life of surrender, a life of sacrifice, a life of repentance, 
to be able to experience that for the rest of our lives. And this is kind of the moment that I want you guys to pull out this communication card. If you guys <coughs> would like to, um, there's a communication card in your guys' bulletin. <coughs> because maybe some of you guys don't know what that looks like. Maybe you don't know what it's like to surrender your life to the king. Maybe you don't, maybe, maybe you need to know about the benefits, you know? Like, my wife's kind of looking around for jobs right now. She's like, I got to know the benefits first. You know, like, I'm not just going to take a job blindly. Like, I, I, I need to know what they're going to be paying. I need to know the benefits of that. And I'm like, yeah, you should, because I don't want you going to this job that pays you five bucks an hour and you get no benefits. You know, like, that don't make no sense. And so maybe you're looking at God right now and you're looking at this kingdom. And you're like, I don't know what this means. I don't know what he's got in store for me. I don't know what benefits he's going to be able to provide for my life. Why should I die to myself if I don't know what he's going to give me in return? You know, maybe indicate you'd like to study the Bible with somebody and we can walk through. If this is the same king that was able to prophesy hundreds of years before things actually happened, I'm sure the promises and blessings he has for your life will probably happen too. You can ask people that are a part of this church, a part of this kingdom, and ask them what things have changed in your life. Maybe it's that you want to know about small groups and ask those questions. What things have happened in your life since you've joined this kingdom? What things are different? What was the kingdom of darkness like for you? And what is the life like now? Maybe that just means you need to connect with somebody and talk about those things. I don't know where you're at today, but I want to give you guys an opportunity to please fill out that card and look at your life and ask yourself, if you don't know about this kingdom, what do you need to do to inquire about it? Because I'm telling you right now, you will not find anything better on this earth that will give you better benefits or blessings for your life than the kingdom of God. So if you need to investigate, please do. And indicate on that card how that can happen will help you out. If you've been a part of this kingdom and you're, you're a disciple, you're not off the hook either. Because just because you live in a kingdom doesn't mean you're, you're a full-grown citizen by the way you act and live. <laughs> People, people rebel in kingdoms, right? You know, that's the whole Brutus situation, right? Brutus killed Caesar. Like, he was, he was under the rule and reign. And sometimes us as disciples, we can be going against God's word because of the way that we choose to act and live. We're hypocrites. Maybe you need to get back into your word and back into your life and indicate that there may be some things in your life that you need to reflect on and look and say, man, I know that I'm a part of this kingdom, but I haven't been living like it. I know I'm living under this rule, but I haven't been acting like it. And maybe this is your time to look at that card and, 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 and get some prayer requests or get some support for some things that maybe you've been struggling with. I don't know where you guys are at today, but I know that everyone needs this kingdom in their life. And that's from my own life story. I needed this kingdom in my life. And I would not be the father that I am. I would not be the husband that I am. I would not be the friend that I am if it wasn't for God's kingdom coming to my life. And for me, that took complete surrender. And so my hope for you guys and my prayer for you guys today is that we can find a way to get complete surrender in our lives to let this kingdom be the only kingdom that has rule. Um, I'm going to say a prayer and uh, we're going to have the worship team come on up and uh, that'll give you guys some time to fill out that card and then they'll give you guys some further instructions as we uh, wrap up today. But I'm glad you guys came. Please come back and, and hear about these other things that we're going to be talking about this kingdom. Like there's so much into it. Um, and so I'm excited to hear just so much more about what this kingdom looks like. If it's here now and I'm living in it, I want to live the right way in it. And that's what this whole sermon series is going to be about. So um, I'm glad you guys are here, and hopefully you guys will check out the things that we have going on throughout the week as, long, as well as coming back for next week's sermon. Let's pray. God, I just want to thank you so much um, for bringing the kingdom now, God. Uh, 
I don't want to wait till I die. You know, like, I don't want to wait till I die to experience the benefits of your kingdom. And it's cool that you've established it and you've brought it here to us to let us live in it, to let us work in it, but also to let us bring other people into it. And God, that's what we're doing today. God, we're focused on bringing other people into your kingdom um, through our relationships, through what we have went through and the darkness that we've had to run through to, to come to you. And so, God, I pray that wherever people are at today and whatever kingdom they've been living in, um, God, that they will choose to run to your kingdom and they'll choose to live in your kingdom the way that you want them to live in your kingdom, Lord. So thank you again for your son uh, to make that sacrifice um, to lead us. Uh, and I pray that we never forget that. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.